The following content is not suitable for children and includes the topics of sexual abuse, masturbation, pedophilia, and eating disorders. Please take proper precautions as needed and listen with self-care. Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome to Unrefined Women. I'm your co-host Agnes. And I'm Margaret. This podcast is an ongoing dialogue between two sisters on the topics of spirituality, religious trauma, mental health, family, and feminism. Now today we're going to discuss um, kind of the further conversation of last week's episode. So this episode was recorded on the same day. Um, We just broke it up into two conversations. So this is the second part. We're going to dive into topics regarding I guess more deeper aspects of religious trauma, purity culture, and sexuality that we've experienced. Yeah, and I remember in the second part as well, we dived into eating disorders as well, talking a little bit about how religious institutions and the different rules can also be really harmful for women when it comes to their bodies and how we eat and fasting as well. We will also be discussing how with children, this religious trauma affects them um, in many different ways. So we do have a trigger warning on this episode. Just be cautious of that. Um, And we do have a few sites that we would like to source. So that will be in our uh, website. Yeah. And so also, Agnes, it has now been uh, a few days since we have officially launched our podcast. How has this been for you so far? So I do know that the day before we launched the episode, um, I really was so nervous about what people were going to think or really if what I had to say made any sense. Um, I didn't want to, you know, launch something or release an episode where people were listening to it and were like, what the fuck is going on? We don't know what you're talking about. So I definitely had a lot of um, anxiety about that. But I think once the episodes were launched, all of our friends and family were able to listen to it. And even myself, I was able to go back and listen to it. I really feel um, very honored and just blessed to even have this platform. I think that uh, like our spirits really came through with this and um, we are expressing ourselves in very truthful and clear ways. Yeah, I had a lot of that similar anxiety too, like leading up to the launch of our podcast. In fact, I would say the two weeks prior to launch, I just was having almost panic attacks at times and a lot of anxiety. And I had to talk with my therapist a lot about it as well because I was feeling um, just really vulnerable because we've been so vulnerable so far with this podcast and and we're going to continue to be vulnerable. But it's really scary when you're putting out these really triggering uh, things out onto the internet. And I think so much of my anxiety, it's come from you know, me having to relive things that we don't really think about in our day-to-day life and feel those emotions again, but also know that anybody really could listen to this and could know these things about me. But at the same time, I've been feeling this anxiety and this fear around that, but there's also like been this deeper knowing that this is for a good cause. Like I feel like I have 
I feel so much purpose with this and that sharing these stories and our experiences could help us to connect with other people and other women that have been through similar experiences. And for all of us to be like, hey, that like that happened to me too. I'm not alone in this. Like, let's talk about this. Let's normalize talking about this. Because I think as long as we stay silent, it allows the people, the systems, all the different toxic things out there in the world to continue to maintain power because our silence keeps them in power. And I don't want to stay silent anymore. Yeah. I think that this has also um, given me more of a purpose as well. Obviously, we had our purpose and our um, intentions with this podcast, but after launch and after listening to this and like you said hearing feedback it has added just more layers of purpose more um i guess more definition to what this podcast is um this isn't just an idea anymore this is something that can change people's lives and change our lives absolutely and i also just want to extend thank you to all of the people that have reached out and connected with us too over this last week and just the hearing other women's stories has just been so meaningful like you have no idea how validating it is and to hear other validating but also heartbreaking to hear other women's stories of what they have gone through with a religious trauma and it just means so much to us and I just wanted to extend that gratitude to the listeners thank you so much for all the messages we've received and the love and the support it really means the world to us Yes, thank you so much. We are so incredibly grateful. And please do not hesitate if you feel compelled to reach out to us and share your story or whatever. We accept you with open arms. We want to hear your story because it brings more awareness. You know, we want to continue to discuss these topics because it is a real problem and we're here to fight that problem. So, I'm so grateful for everybody that has tuned in and that will continue to tune in and listen to us. Thank you for holding this space for us. And we hope that you enjoy today's episode. Yeah. And let me just say, I was reading an article. Let me quote the article. Um, well, we'll link it into everything. Um, it's from the meadows.com and, you know, I was reading it. I found a lot of really good information, but they were talking about, this is a little bit heavy. So if you feel triggered around children and sexual abuse, then I would recommend probably not listening to this part of the episode. Um, but they were talking about why children are so it's so common for children in religion to be sexually abused by people in religion. Um, and it's because religious institutions continuously, and I don't want to blame it on the Bible because I have not translated the Bible, but you know, it continuously justifies, um, the abuse, whether it's physical, mental, or sexual. And they, basically instill this fear in children like the fear of god um like 
you know, I was always taught that you should always fear God. Like God's your best friend, but like you need to be scared of him because he's more powerful than you. Mm. That's fucking bullshit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Jesus loves you until yeah. you uh, commit a sin and then you're going to hell. Yeah. He's going to throw your ass in hell. Yeah. But he loves you. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and also sin is inevitable. Everyone sins. You're going to sin all day, every day. So, you know, achieving God's love is just, you know, impossible in that mindset. Um, But anyways, it was, you know, kind of telling, you know, how they're able to get away with abusing children. Um, And it's around the quote unquote virtues of obedience and humility. Oh, because they, well, we all know like the term like obedience, like, you know, obey and like submit, but humility is kind of a, um, word that I have reflected on, especially the last few years. Um, you know what it means, how can I become more humble in more spiritual ways, like non-religious, um, but with humility, it's almost like in religion, it's almost like, uh, shut your mouth and, don't speak up for yourself even Mm -hmm. like when you embarrass yourself or when you do anything that puts shame on you that is actually a virtue and that uh, means that god loves you more and that that'll give you a better place in heaven humility is basic and this actually just hit me right now humility humility in this religious context is glorified shame yeah it is yeah it is wow wow that's disturbing you know because yeah I, I i i mean this is like flooding back to me now about being a child i mean obedience to your parents is like just held up on this gleaming pedestal okay that that's what you know as children don't question anything do as you're told you know no critical thinking allowed mm-hmm. <laughs> um and I'm just going back to, again, like my experience as a young child and the shame um, around touching myself. And, you know, I'm, I want to give mom the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure she probably talked to me when I was a small child about not letting other people touch me. But I don't remember it. I, all I remember was the constant harping on me about you cannot touch your own body. That's what I remember was you cannot touch your own body. So that's where all the focus was. You know, who gives a shit about telling you that other people can't touch your body, but you can't touch your own body. That's like where all the all the focus was. And then when you combine that with obedience, obeying your parents, obeying your um, elders, I mean, I think it's just, it's, it's making ripe soil, fertile soil for sexual abuse to occur. Yeah. And, you know, I remember, uh, contrary to your experience, I do remember my mom often, even my dad, I remember, you know, them always like kind of saying things to me. But the thing is about, you know, a parent coming to you and being like, oh, don't let this person touch you here whatever the whole speech was it always made me so uncomfortable because I felt like at the end of the day the conversation always came down to um if this happens then it's this is embarrassing for you 
right? And we're going to bring up shame again. It was, it would be, don't let them touch you because imagine how embarrassing that would be. <gasps> oh my God. That, to- oh, that Agnes, that ties into the fucked up phenomenon with families that will try to protect the sexual abuser in the family. Okay. Yeah. The relative. Try to brush it under the rug and have everything hush hush because their fear of their perception or their fear of um, their reputation being tarnished is greater than the safety of their own children. Yeah. Yep. And that, and that is why religious institutes will ruin people's lives they will do anything to protect the name of their religion or their institute mm-hmm. and you and i have firsthand ex- well actually mm, you might not have been born yet <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you do but i have firsthand experience or maybe secondhand would be the better word um you know there were priests that we were very close with when i was a ch- child that ended up getting Busted. busted busted for molestation of child pedophilia um these are people that came and ate sunday dinner at our table like right next to me <laughs> these yeah. yeah so there yeah they were priests that i have memories of coming over and sharing sunday dinner with us and sitting on the couch and reading stories to us kids and getting busted for for pedophilia for molestation um and again, it was always this huge hush-hush taboo thing. You know, Father So-and-So is now in prison for touching children, but we can't talk about it, sweep it under the rug. We don't want to cause a ruckus and make people think badly about our religion. Wow. It's, yeah. I don't have specific, like, first-hand experience, um, but there is, like, speculation that, like, this one priest that, like, was like my like spiritual mentor for a while is like under speculation that he's like a weirdo but we don't know that for sure <laughs> that just makes it thinking about that type of shit just makes me so uncomfortable because it's like it's just like because these were people because these were people that were like in our home in yeah. our most intimate safe place pla- or well places that should have been safe yeah around people that were responsible See, for protecting us and this is why religion can be why why this is such a traumatic thing and why we will always go back to the innocence and the trauma and how this affects children um because yeah like the home is supposed to be a safe space for a child and when you start bringing unsafe things repeatedly in fact let me give you my my abuse definition Um, To treat a person or an animal with cruelty or violence, especially regularly or repeatedly. That is from Google Dictionary. It is a, you know, I'm not going to point any fingers and say that it's a parent's fault because, you know, parents can be just as blind. But it is a form of abuse to repeatedly let um, unsafe people into a child's home. Mm Mm-hmm. And we were surrounded by that. And whether it was priests or even our own father who physically abused and verbally abused everyone in the, well, most of us in the family or Mm -hmm. 
well yeah that's like a whole spectrum but yeah yeah so yeah <laughs> and of course there right there is the kind of the intersection of uh family dynamics and and abuse uh with um you know in the in your family of origin and intersecting that with the layers of religious trauma as well mm-hmm. so yeah there's a lot right there yeah um and priests as well. I so I have a story, and this is kind of the intersection of of the purity culture and modesty in priests. Um, you know, we all have. I actually, I just would be curious to hear some of your stories too. But you know, I had a situation that it happened to me, and this was actually when I was a young adult. Um, I was living in Georgia at the time, and I was a live-in nanny at the time. So I had just gone down for a summer in Georgia to be a live-in nanny. So I had, you know packed like one suitcase of clothes it was going to be hot so I didn't pack much just kept it simple to survive a Georgia summer and I was going to a church down there it was a St. Pius X church SXPX Um, and this was a church that mom and dad had done research and selected for me to go to while I was there oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think I was 18 at the time or 19 probably right around your age and um, <laughs> I was still trying. I was still trying to go to church and do the whole thing. You're, you were and doing better than and... I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, Agnes, trust me, you're much further along. <laughs> so I was at this, you know, I was down there for the summer and I, um, every Sunday was kind of a battle because again, I had just taken one suitcase with me and it was mostly shorts and t-shirts just, you know, trying to get through the Georgia summer. I was limited on appropriate church clothing so every Sunday I would try to assemble something that was going to pass the test and and make me fit in in church and um, one Sunday I failed miserably and the story was um, you know I actually was I I think that I did a pretty good job of checking the boxes I remember I was wearing um, a really long like ankle ankle length flowing skirt all right I had do you guys you remember camisoles camisoles were like a thing yeah back in like the this was probably 2010 yeah you know camisole so you had the camisole with like the lace on top that's what i was wearing i had a camisole but then i put like a little sweater over it okay georgia fucking hot as hell and i'm like in an ankle length skirt and sweater trying to you know pass in church so i show up to church and you know everything's fine go up to communion um it's the Latin mass. So you, you know, you kneel down at the, at the altar and you have to stick your tongue out and the priest puts the host, you know, the Holy communion on your tongue. Jesus's you body. Yep. Puts it right <laughs> on your mouth. You can't touch Jesus's body. Oh my God. You know, you can't touch your own body. Can't touch Jesus's body. It's a whole thing. So but you, but you anyway. can eat it. You can digest <laughs> it and shit it out. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> So I get, you know, it's my turn to receive communion. So I like close my eyes and stick my tongue out and I don't feel anything on my tongue and no communion. So I open my eyes and he's just standing there in front of me and he opens his mouth and in a voice that carries that's loud enough for everyone in this congregation to hear, he looks at me and he says, Next time, wear something more appropriate, and then I'll give you communion. The shame in the hot 
tears that I felt in that moment were like otherworldly. I mean, you know, people talk about that moment where they wish like the, the, the shame is so great. They wish that the floor would open up and just swallow them. Like that's what I felt. I could feel the eyes of every person in that congregation staring at me. Um, and I was, it was awful. So I, you know, got up and it was like, I was in like a twilight zone. Like I remember it was like, I was having this like almost out of body experience. I was so traumatized. Um, it's just, everything was like, it was like I was in a dream, you know? And it was like that dream where you just want to run, but like your feet are like, your, your feet are like cemented to the ground and you can't run. Like that's how it felt. So I get up and it, it just, everything felt like I was in a dream and it was in slow motion. And I'm like walking back up the aisle and people were like whispering and staring at me. And I went back to my seat and, you know, communion's closer to the end of mass. So shortly after, um, right as it was getting close, to, I didn't even wait to the end of church. It was almost the end of church. And I got up and tried to sneak out the door and just get the fuck out of there because I was just like falling apart emotionally. And I'm running to the car and I hear a man's voice behind me yelling, ma'am, wait, stop, come back. (laughs) And it was one of the ushers. (laughs) And I was just like booking it to my car. And I jumped in my car and locked the door and started backing out of my parking place. And this usher comes running up to me and is like chasing my car and like knocking on the window. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And I like froze and I hit the brake and I rolled down the window like just a crack. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, ma'am, you have to come back inside. Father says he needs to speak with you. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's like a fucking order, too. Oh, my God. And I just said I, I was like just panicking. I was like just like I was like a caged animal. Like, just get me the hell out of here. And I just was like, sorry, I'm late for an appointment. I got to go. And I just took off. And I went back to my nanny family's house just crying, crying. And I went inside and they were like, oh, my God, like, what's wrong? You know, and they weren't religious at all. Um, So they see their nanny coming in the front door, just bawling her eyes out. And I'm like, they're like, what's wrong? You know, and I told them what happened and they were livid. And I just remember the dad of the family was so angry for me. And (laughs) he, I just remember him going, I bet you that that priest saw you because you're a young, beautiful looking woman. And he goes, and FYI, there is nothing inappropriate about what you're wearing today. And he goes, and I goes, he goes, I bet that priest looked at you and you're a young, beautiful woman. And he probably felt something that he, you know, identifies as sinful. And he couldn't deal with his feelings about what he was seeing. And so he had to put that shame on you. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's another fun story. That makes me so angry. That's another fun story. That makes me so mad. Yeah. When we talk about priests and men and the pressures that they put on women to be small and and put all of all of our energy into trying to fit into this box, which is literally impossible. You can't. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. 
I think I got yelled at once at communion. You did? Because what? I didn't open. I I but it, I I can't remember if it was me or if it was Claire, um. But it was because I don't know. It was either one of us, but it was because we didn't open our mouth wide enough. It was the bishop too in Chicago. Oh my god! The bishop yelled. He goes. He goes. Open your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember if it was me or if it was her, but I just remember that was so embarrassing. And I also used to faint all the time I, in church. I did too. Dude. You used to faint in I, church too? Yes. And I'm convinced that like that shit gave me like anemia. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh my God. Did you eat breakfast before church? No. Right. Cause we had to fast. No, because you had to fast. Yeah. I remember this being a child and you couldn't eat breakfast. You had to fast so you could receive God and then you would pass out in church from hunger. Yeah. <laughs> and let me say this here. Trigger warning. Eating disorders. The Catholic Church promotes eating disorders. I'm sorry, but the research tells it all. Like, I made a TikTok about it, but it's like first of all you have all these rules around fasting and you have lent and you can't eat this and you oh wait, wait oh and remember you remember fat tuesday oh you have to binge <gasps> oh binging you ha- i just is just realized oh, this binging. fat tuesday you binge and you binge and you eat whatever the fuck you want because the next day you have to starve yourself and you have to purge <gasps> i never connected for that. ash wednesday i never connected me that me neither so and then Easter then you again, to, you have all these rules. Yeah. Oh, and then Easter comes and you can go ahead and binge again because you deserve it. Now you're suddenly worthy to eat after 40 days. Um, of fasting. But yeah, like it's a lot of um, and, you know, eating disorders run in our family. I don't know if like you've experienced it. I've kind of experienced stuff with it. I, you know, we have siblings that severely have been affected by eating disorders and um i firmly believe that is it is a result of religion or religious trauma um and the rules around uh you know fasting and even in high school it was like if you like i would come to school like on the mornings that we would have church and i'd like pull a granola bar out of my bag and one of my classmates would be like oh no it's church you can't have that like everyone's like checking each other's like food you know or like you can't eat meat on Fridays so I'd bring a fucking like I mean back when I wasn't vegan I'd bring like meat on a Friday and everyone even though it wasn't Lent like everyone would like give me that look (laughs) like it's just there's so much shame around like what you eat yeah see and and then finish what you were saying no i was just gonna say when i was a kid um in our family we did the no meat on fridays like all year round yeah so. me too okay i wasn't sure if that was still I know, what yeah it was but i know that when i like got older in high school um some of my friends didn't either or didn't like it, it became more of like a, a lent only type of thing yeah yeah um yeah, and so I, I know, like, one or two of my friends were the same way. Like, they would come to school on Fridays yeah. and bring me, but, like, most people didn't. 
Um, and it was mostly like a thing where I, I wouldn't even like think about it. Like I just packed my lunch and whatever. Um, but yeah, so another thing too with uh, churches is they they display these, you know, granted, I, I know like the story of Jesus, like he was crucified and he was starving and all of this, but they literally display a starving body. Like that, like the, the crucifix above the altar is the biggest statue or piece of art in a church, right? Mm-hmm. And it is literally a starving body. You can see his ribs. You can see everything. And, I, you know, I get it. Like it's part of like the art and the real realism of like what happened. But I think I, I believe that this has like go into play of like the eating disorders there's also this whole thing that was like going on in the middle ages where nuns and religious women were literally dying of starvation because they were so uh they were fasting so strictly and they believed that if they ate then they would like burn in hell oh my gosh so it was like a whole like pandemic type of thing. Like, yeah, I, I yeah. wonder, you know, and cause I'm, I'm rereading the Bible right now or not. Re- I mean, we never really read the Bible as Catholics. Like we heard the gospels and the epistles in church. <laughs> and that was like the extent of it, which is like another like bullshit thing about religion. It's like what like Catholic person like has actually read the Bible. Right. Like tell me <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. Not me. So like I'm I'm reading the Bible right now, kind of just trying to to read it with a fresh perspective. But um, I'm starting with the Gospels and, you know, in the Gospels. So Jesus went into the desert and he fasted for 40 days. Um, But from my understanding at this point, he's an adult. OK, and and I'm I'm curious to get more into the Bible. And if any listeners have any um, backstories on this, I would, I would, I would love to hear if you want to send us a message or comment or something on social media. But uh, I'm curious where the origins of fasting came from in the, in the church. Um, You know, obviously Mm. in the gospels, Jesus fast for 40 days, but I'm, I'm interested to hear if there's other points in the Bible that get into fasting or, or kind of where this whole fasting thing comes from. Because I, my question is, did children have to fast? Because um, in our sector of, of the Catholic Church, once you turn seven years old, I mean, seven years old is just fucking over at that point. You are, according to the church, once you're seven years old, you are now developed enough that you can commit a mortal sin. And if you commit a mortal sin, that's punishable by eternal hellfire. Okay. I'm sorry. The prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until your mid to late 20s. And the prefrontal cortex is the part of your brain that for executive functioning, that can make decisions, okay? Like critical thinking skills, all that stuff, all right? That's not fully developed to your mid to late 20s. And you're going to tell me that a seven-year-old is mature enough to make a choice that will determine whether they go to heaven or hell when they die, okay? So, you know, children are, are not mentally equipped to be taking on the kind of uh the kind of uh responsibility of of hell at such a young age okay and then um i just want to know what genius came up with the idea that children at seven years old because at seven years old too you now can start fasting 
What genius also decided that children as young as seven years old should be fasting? Um, I'm just really curious to know if this shit's in the Bible, <laughs> where this came from. Because I, I understand, yeah. you know, I I can understand to a degree that, you know, maybe for for adults that have a healthy relationship with food um, could could do fasting, you know, and there could be some spiritual benefits to that. You know, I'm going to, I'm yes, going to put that the out Buddha, there. That that's the Buddha did a lot of fasting. Yes. I think that it can be used as a tool for spirituality. Okay. For a healthy adult where children yes. came into this, I, I would really love to fucking know. <laughs> and just saying too, if you, for spiritual reasons, want to fast, I would, before doing it, I would either consult a family member that you're close with or consult a therapist mm. before you do so. Oh, and maybe a doctor? Yes. Get your yes, blood work done. Doctor. Check with a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I know that the eating disorders um, in the church, I know that's kind of a new thing that you've discovered and, and you've got, you found some research as well <laughs> that perhaps we can connect to the heretic energy (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) oh god all right agnes while we are talking about religious trauma and this purity Uh. culture and eating disorders and all the things here um let's talk a little bit about sexual orientation because that is a big that's a big conversation so maybe we could just kind of scratch the surface a little bit with this one um but, you know, everybody, I think most people understand that the church's position on uh, LGBTQ plus um, is not great, <laughs> very harmful. So you disclosed um, earlier that, uh, that you are a bisexual female. <laughs> Can you share a little bit about what that was like as a young child when you first started um, to, to realize that you were attracted to girls and, and what that felt like and what thoughts accompanied those feelings? Yeah. So I, like I mentioned, it was something that I kind of was able to identify within myself very, very quickly as a child. Um, and it, it was just kind of like a, like a secondhand nature sort of thing. It was nothing like, um, like it was just who I was like I just was attracted to women like whatever right um and then I I think the moment that it really like hit me was uh some people will know what I'm talking about but uh I was 12 years old and my family was currently residing in uh, uh the suburbs of Portland Oregon um to take care of my grandpa on my mom's side um, for a few months. And, um, during this period, it was very life-changing for me. Um, just a lot of like self-growth. Um, but I remember watching the show Glee. Uh, I was like so into that show. Oh my God. I loved that show. Really? I, (gasps) I, I I like Glee. Um, Oh, so good. That, see that Glee was like my college years. Like my, the first time I went to college when I was like out of high school, that was like my college years. Dude, I would like go to class, I would study, and I would watch Glee. Oh, it was the life. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah, so in the show, Santana, she 
came out as lesbian in one of the episodes. It was like all about her coming out as lesbian and realizing that she was in love with her best friend named Brittany. So I remember watching this late at night and I paused it and I like was having like a full blown like I don't want to say like panic attack because I wasn't like hyperventilating but like a nervous breakdown almost like every nerve in my body like shut down and I just sat there and I was just like please don't be gay please don't be gay (laughs) because I like I just felt it like I just like heard Santana like I just felt like I was her and I was like I was terrified. I was so scared. Like every nerve in my body like shut down. And I remember thinking it would be so embarrassing if I came out to be that person in the family. Like I would stand out. Everyone would hate me. Everyone would disown me. This is not who I am. Like I like I made it like a point to disown that feeling oh jeez. yeah so <laughs> that was um very traumatic and I know that uh it was something I kind of dealt with for a while I think after a while like maybe like a year or so I was able to kind of let go of that fear a little bit um and then from there uh kind of going into my teenage years I kind of forgot about the fact that I was attracted to women like like I knew I was but it was more of like a joke to me like oh my god she's so hot like whatever um I remember when I was 14 I ended up befriending an internet friend and um her and I kind of were like in love with each other um but I was then again like super scared like she was um openly bisexual but that was like a whole other story. (laughs) I just continued to have these like feelings of like fear around my sexuality. Um, and then in high school too, it was like, I remember like one of my best friends, like I used to always joke around and I was like, you're so hot. Like I would totally sleep with you, but it was like such a joke. And like, obviously I don't want to like make anyone uncomfortable. Um, but I like just knew at that point I was becoming more comfortable with the fact that I, was like attracted to women and I think that it kind of really progressed from there um I was kind of telling you previously that I never really like came out or had any sort of um messages coming from other people like my parents or family members or um, friends because I didn't really like fully acknowledge this part of myself until I was already removed from this situation. So this was when I was living in Illinois. Um, and I was like, yeah, I like women. Okay, cool. Like whatever. Like, and now it's just like, whatever. Like I I don't like walk around like with like rainbow (laughs) everything. Like it's just like whatever for me. Um, you know, whatever. It's just like who I am. Um, but you know, and I was kind of reflecting on like when I was younger and why I had all this fear around, um, uh, my sexual orientation. And it was like, 
it, it was almost like it wasn't other people like instilling this fear in me. Like obviously it was the messages that were being told to me. Um, but I was almost like being homophobic to myself. Like all of these messages, like yes, were rooted from the religion and rooted from uh, religious homophobia. But a lot of the things that I was telling myself, I was telling myself, you know. But don't you believe, don't you think, though, that that also comes from the gaslighting effect? You know, um, you know, we were gaslit as children um, into not trusting our thoughts, not trusting our feelings, because, you know, your thoughts could be the devil messing with your head. So we were tr- we were taught to not trust in ourselves. So there was this constant gaslighting and mistrust of ourselves. Um, so you were you know, kind of, as you said, being homophobic towards yourself. But I also feel like, okay, a question I have. Do you do you remember at all when you were young? Did anyone say anything to you about homosexuality and it being sinful? Do you have any memories of that? Um, Nothing, nothing like right off the bat. But like, yes, it was such a common topic, like, uh, you know, because even like back then, like back in like before, like in, in like the early, earlier 2000s, it was like it like being gay was still like you were still like a minority then versus now it's like whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was such like an outstanding thing. So like if I were in public when I was like a little girl and I would see like a gay couple of any gender, it was just like so foreign it was like yeah like not like oh I was like horrified like it it didn't make me uncomfortable but it was just like okay like this is weird like I've never seen this before like this is like a moment to remember um sort of thing um but yeah a lot of it was like my parents being like this is why it's wrong and then like my mom would always have this whole like argument around like the reason why gay gay marriage or gay, gay relationships are, are so bad because they're, like, sex is, like, harmful for the body. I don't even know, like, that whole argument. Such a weird propaganda. Yeah, it was just, like, all, like, just conversations and day-to-day, like, you know, just your casual homophobia. <laughs> oh, my God. So, okay, so we have, you have that. So there's the conversations going on about how, you know, same-sex relationships are bad. They're sinful. They're not natural, etc. Okay. And then on the flip side, what is the image that we were all sold as children of the godly family? Well, yeah. I mean, it's the man. You have the man, woman. And their dependent children, or no, 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 let me back up. Man, who's the head of the household, dependent wife, and dependent children. Yeah. That's the image that was sold to us, and still is, and still is sold to us. It's it's getting a little better. Like, just, just in society in general, it's getting a little bit better. We're starting to see more representation. Um, but for most of our lives, you know, family was was held up. Um, in media, in commercials, and TV shows, and movies, and pictures, and 
everything was man, woman, and children. Okay? So you have um, the blatant overt homophobia coming from uh, the religious institutions. And then there's also the idealized picture of what a family is, the man, the woman, and the children. So when you say that you were being homophobic to yourself, I don't think that I don't think we're born being homophobic to ourselves. I don't think people are born uh, being racist. You know, I don't think that people are born with these fucked up diseases. It's the culture and society which infiltrates and, and infects us with these things. So you had double messaging coming from, at least that's that's what I yeah. feel hearing this. You know, from a young age, from a young formative age to the point that you took all of that in and then started to abuse yourself with that information yeah you know that's interesting because I you know lately I have actually been thinking about um different ways that us as humans do abuse ourselves and you know actually today I was driving and I was thinking about um how like why what are the what is the roots of this right like why do we abuse ourselves? And it's because of the messages that we're told by the people older than us, the mm. people that we look up to. And this can go for, you know, for my situation with homophobia. It can go for body insecurities where the mother or an older sibling is constantly pointing out their flaws their younger sibling or their child is more likely to be insecure with their body and say mm-hmm. the same things about themselves. So this is why healing is so important. <laughs> yeah. So you don't pass that shit down to your children. <laughs> not e- dude, not even just your children, but also like even like your friends. And it's like yeah. um, being a toxic friend is actually so easy. It's so easy to be a toxic friend because we're used to just acting and saying whatever the fuck we want and not realizing how easily that can affect other people. Wow. Yeah. Not just being conscious, conscious of our actions and our words and how they can be interpreted by other people. Yeah, because I've definitely had experiences um, with friends, family, whatever, where they've said something to me like a joke or something. Um, that to them like didn't really mean anything but I went home and thought about it for days wow or they'll point you know my older sister Cecilia she used to be extremely insecure about her body um, and always wanting to have like a thigh gap or wanting to have this and that and then that's when I started pointing out all these other flaws in my body and like constantly picking myself apart so yeah, yeah, it's so contagious, and we, I mean, we see it too, just like in society as well, you know. So, um, I mean, in in, in every in commercials, you know, there's uh, entire uh, sections of capitalism that are just profiting off of off of that, you know, breeding, yeah, uh, breeding, um, you know, discomfort in our bodies and feeling like we're not enough and that we have to change our bodies. And so we'll pay money to change our bodies. I mean, it's just, this isn't even just religion. This is just like a huge cultural issue that we have. 
Yeah, because you think about it, it's like every few years, and even now with TikTok, like every few months, like trends are changing. And mm-hmm. not even to get into the, uh, uh, what's it called? Like the effects on like the earth of like mass producing, um, trendy items like clothes, whatever. But, um, like everyone wants thin eyebrows, right? Early two thousands, nineties, thin eyebrows. But then it's the big bushy eyebrows. Um, but then it was the thigh gaps, but now everyone wants big thighs and now it's like, oh, and everyone wanted a boob job. Everyone wants big boobs. Well, now, now everyone wants little boobs. So <laughs> it's just, it's, or like eyelashes. Everyone wants big eyelashes. Oh, now everyone wants big lips or, you know, they're constantly recycling or finding new ways to profit off of what you feel you are lacking and what you're Mm -hmm. insecure about. Not even what you're insecure about, but they go and tell you. They breathe. Yeah. They breathe the insecurity in you. Yeah. Like when I was 10 years old or before I, you know, I actually will write a whole blog post. It's in the process about body image because I have a lot of shit to say about it. But Before I started struggling with my body image, like as a child, I didn't give a shit about the size of my legs or the size of my stomach or how much like portions of my food. I didn't give a shit. I was just there to have a good time and play with my friends and eat my ice cream and, you know, (laughs) like whatever. But then society decided to come and tell me you should be insecure about this. Yeah. And there's still like, there's still like the weirdest things. Like I, okay. I think it was you and our cousin Jessica just told me recently about, um, hip dips. It was me. I was like, well, yeah, I think Jessica did too. And I'm like, (laughs) what the fuck is a hip dip? Oh, it's like, I think it was you, right? It was like this new trend now to not have a hip dip and i'm like first of all what the fuck is a hip dip and why can't i have one (laughs) i feel bad but i was bringing it up to contradict the argument though i know i understand that like you know but it was like i was i made me angry not at you like that was not the context of our conversation at all but it made me angry like are you fucking kidding me like okay so so my hips you know, and I guess everyone's, most people's hips, you know, you've got that little indentation in the side of your hips. I I had never even thought of that. I just was like, oh, it's the shape of my body. Okay. Just like we have heads that are round and, uh, you know, we have long, you know, you have uh, tree, or I don't know, long uh, cylinder legs. Like I just, you know, that's just the way the body's shaped. Like I never thought about it. And then you have a little indentation in your hips. I just, like never thought about it it's just the shape of your body so when I had never even had an awareness around that and then there was this whole thing of like oh yeah there's hip dips and people were actually like eating whatever eating certain foods or not eating certain foods and doing exercises to get rid of their hip dips or surgeries the, yeah the ridiculous of the, the ridiculousness of that statement it was as if someone had come to me and said oh did you hear 
round heads aren't in style anymore. So <laughs> now you got to do these things to have a triangle shaped head. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, that's the level of ridiculousness. And I was like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. Really? So I'm over here like now intentionally loving my hip dips. I'm like, I'm going to just, uh, as my rebellion, I'm going to state my opposition by saying, I love having hip dips. This is just the shape of my body. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. That's my rebellion. Well, it's I funny, too, because I don't even give a shit about any of that either. But, um, I, you know, the reason why I did bring it up, though, was in which is interesting. Uh, this one girl, I think on TikTok, was saying, like, hip dips are a sign of strength. And, um, you know, for me, I love going to the gym I'm not like your typical, like, I'm not like a bodybuilder, but like, you know, we'll get there one day, <laughs> but <laughs> I loved, I love being at the gym and just gains and whatever. Um, but now like I see, like, I, I'm glad that people are now more like conscious, like awake, I guess, like to find like these issues, like that, uh, capitalism is like profiting off of and turning it around and making it like a power move, right? Oh, so yeah. um, instead of being like, uh, you know, oh, I have hip dips. It's like you have really strong legs, you know, um, whatever else, you know, like I have really small boobs. Great. You don't have to wear bras everywhere or, you know, right? you have really <laughs> big boobs. Great. Your boobs are going to look great in that shirt. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, just, like, as we should be. I mean, it'd be so, I mean, that would be the ideal, right? To get to a point where, like, everyone can celebrate the shape of their bodies and the size of different body parts. And, like, it's all natural. It's all normal. And be able to embrace, like, view it all as an asset. It's all an asset. It's all part of our vessel that we've incarnated into that carries our spirit through this lifetime. Like, oh, that would just be the dream, right? That we can yeah. that we can get to a point where we're able to fully embody and celebrate that. Because we've got a long way to go, though, with the society. Here's the thing, too, is, like, what I love about you and I having a podcast is that we have created a space where um, these things are celebrated. Your sexuality, your... Um, your body, your, your traumas or what, you know, or your, your experiences, all of that is accepted and it is celebrated and it is okay. Right. And we're making that like a space. Um, it just makes me so angry that, um, people are switching that narrative and there are spaces out there where people are profiting off of that. Mm. Not just with yeah. the beauty industry or whatever, but, you know, going back with religion where men, I mean, I'm sure financially <laughs> they're profiting off of this shit. You know, we're not even going to get into that, but um, men are like boosting their ego and their power over people because they want to make women feel small Oof. and they're doing the same shit like pointing out like someone's like insecurities they're pointing out women's authenticity 
like women being powerful, opinionated, strong, um, immodest beings from the real definition of immodesty. Um, and they're switching that and they're demonizing it and they're saying that no, no, that's, that's not what you want. Like, like here's the plastic surgery, quote unquote, to not be that. Cause, cause you don't want that. Like they're trying to sell you the opposite mm-hmm. in order to control you and profit off of you. Jeez. Wow. It's like, I mean, this is like come full circle. It's like, okay, so you have men telling women to be modest, make yourself small, um, make women feel insecure and inadequate and unworthy, um, and then find ways to profit off of women trying to change themselves to fit into this other box. And then when they're in that box, shame them for being too much, too immodest, uh, you know, too big, whatever, whatever the fuck you've done. It, we can't win. We cannot win in patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. Men are canceled. 2021. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. The shitty men. You know who you are. Don't act like you don't know. <laughs> right. If you're listening to this and you have a bitter taste in your mouth and you're a man, shame on you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, self-awareness. That's I think I yeah. fully believe that self-awareness is what will truly heal our universe and our earth yes. and humans. Self-awareness, healing, and then ultimately self-love and self-acceptance, celebration. Yeah. No more bullshit rules about what you should and shouldn't wear, who you should and shouldn't love. Damn, that was some really deep shit that we covered today. And I feel like this really brings us into a space of gratitude. Um, So what we always do is just kind of um, ask each other what we're grateful for so that, you know, we're able to recenter ourselves. And, you know, as negative sometimes these things can feel at the end of the the day, um, we really do have a lot to be grateful for. Uh, Margaret, what are you grateful for today? Um, obviously, I mean, I think that this conversation was just really healing for me in a sense. Um, and this might sound kind of strange, but honestly, like right now too, I'm just feeling gratitude for my life and the experiences I've had, even the moments that really sucked, that were really negative. I think, I, I'm not, not I think, I know now at this point in my life that you know um like I chose this I chose this life and I'm so so grateful for the lessons I've learned along the way and for this just beautiful opportunity to learn from these lessons and then then to be able to take them with me um you know further along in my life and just have have the healing experience and to have the wisdom that comes along with that yeah I really I really you know kind of feel that too um Today, I really think that I'm grateful um, just 
you know, to even have the life that I lived, I think, you know, as traumatic as it was, and we really go over some, you know, really sad things that we ha- we've had to experience. I'm still grateful, you know, I'm still grateful that I ha- we had the mother that we had, we have the siblings mm-hmm. that we have, and I truly, truly believe that without this experience in my life, I would not be who I am today. And as rocky and complicated as I am, um, I still love myself and I am a product of all of that. And, you know, you just have to accept it or I have accepted it. And therefore, I'm just grateful of everything in the way that it, you know, the way my life has pursued itself. Yeah, that's a really, really beautiful reflection. So now turning it to the audience, to everybody else out there, you know, we really believe in the power of just even taking a minute a day to just breathe and find some gratitude in the little things. So wherever you are, if you're able to go ahead and close your eyes, take a deep breath in and out and reflect on something that you're grateful for today. We are so honored that you could join us in this discussion today. And we hope that you all have a really beautiful week. If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username unrefinedwoman, and on Instagram at unrefinedwomanpodcasts. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.